Good morning, everyone. If I had a chance to meet you, my name is Joe. This is just a brief snapshot of something we're calling our impact report, two-year celebration. We thought we'd make that available to you. Some of you maybe got a copy of it ahead of time, um, but we have copies here. If you want to learn more about what we've been up to the last two years, some numbers, some stories, some quotes, things like that, if that is meaningful to you and you kind of get a glimpse at what we've been able to accomplish, there's a bunch of copies in the back. We'd love for you to take one. Uh, it lays out some of the things you saw on the screen as well as a number of other things. Uh, but God's been doing some amazing things. You know, I, I, One of the th- uh, slides that really stood out to me, Little Bob free store. Over 300 kids. This is actually old information. We've registered and served a number of kids since uh, this. Uh, these things take a little bit to put together, so the numbers go up through June. And um, so since June, we've even served even more uh, kids at the Little Bottoms Free Store, and even just this last week, uh, the week of service. Uh, even our attendance numbers are different. In June, our average for the year was like 86, I think it said on the screen. But uh, over the last eight weeks, we've had um, more than 100 people in worship six of those weeks, which is um, you know just a significant jump from where we were uh, last year. So it's all good news, and we just want to give uh, uh, thank you all for the role that you've played in being a part of something new and, and, and obviously give thanks to God. And, and that's one of the things that we want to spend some time with today. I, I was really kind of thinking, how do we want to celebrate our two-year? And, and, and I really kind of found myself centering on this really, you know, the foundation of everything we do just at the heart of who we are and why we do it and my motivation, I hope your motivation or that you have some tie into this. And um, the motivation, the foundation, the core, if you strip everything away, uh, it comes down to to one name. Uh, You know the name because it's the Sunday School answer. The name is, yes, thank you. So you guys are already like at 100% here, A plus, well done. Um, Yeah, Jesus, And, and I don't mean that lightly, Jesus really is at the center of what we do. Even in those times where you're like, how does this connect to who Jesus is? I, I still, in the heart of my hearts, just want to make sure that who I am and what I'm doing and what our church is doing is lining up with who Jesus is. One time in college, I had this opportunity to go through, you know, when you learn and you expand and you, you're challenged and you realize people don't experience the world the way you experience it and people don't believe the way you believe and people don't interpret all of scripture the same way you interpret scripture. There's a, there's a deconstruction that happens. And maybe I know many of our community have kind of gone through, it's a fancy word we throw out sometimes, but we've gone through some kind of deconstruction. And I remember sitting in a class and my professor was talking about his. He was talking about this struggle of like all of these questions and doubts and different ways of interpreting scripture and all of the things. And, and someone was asking him about like, where did you land? How, what do you hold on to? What's your anchor? And he said, you know, when you cut it all away and you, you get it down to the core of who I am and what I'm following, it's, it's ultimately for him. And I would say I want it to be for me too, is I'm a follower of Jesus. Like that's the core like the person of Jesus. And so for me, one of the ways I think about it is, is in the context of love. I want, I want to love Jesus. We talk about worship and we talk about serving and we talk about obeying God. I want to love Jesus with who I am and how I behave. I want to love others like Jesus too, though, right? Like not just about my relationship with God, but it's about me loving and being in community with other people and loving them in this radical sort of way that Jesus illustrates. But then I, so we don't want to forget that, but then also I want to be loved by Jesus. I want to remember my value and my worth and my identity, I want to love Jesus, love people like Jesus, and be loved by Jesus. That's the foundation of who, what I hope my life is about and what I hope our church is as well. So what I want to do today is I want to spend some time reflecting on uh, who Jesus is uh, to me and I think to our church. And my hope is, is the reality is, is I've experienced Jesus in a lot of different ways. And we're a church where people are different places in their walk. 
They're in different places in their spiritual development, and Jesus means a lot of different things. And when I study the scriptures and I spend time in the gospels, Jesus takes on a lot of different roles. I'm going to share with you just a few that have become meaningful to me, but I'm going to challenge you to reflect, and there will even be an opportunity to answer the question at the end, so I want you to be thinking about it now, is where are you at? What role, you know, because Jesus, Jesus has been a lot of things to me, but usually in a particular season, Jesus is something specific, and I want to explain that. But where are you at with Jesus? What role is Jesus playing in your life right now? So I want to start, and we're going to spend some time in the Gospel of John. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, you can pull them out, uh, follow along. It won't be on the screen. If you want a Bible, I think there's some copies in the back. You can run and grab one, uh, and you can follow along with that, or you can follow along on your phone. And so what I want to do in the Gospel of John, I'm going to do a, a survey of the Gospel of John, and I'm going to start at the end. The Gospel of John, the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all the, the four Gospels, and I want to start at the end because at the end of the Gospels is kind of where my faith story began, and I think probably for a lot of us. So I'm going to start in John chapter 19. This is pretty close to the end of the Gospel of John, um, and it's the story of Jesus' crucifixion, which is really where my story began as well, and, and I'm guessing many of you. Jesus is, uh, he's been held trial. He's, uh, he's been hung on a cross. He's being crucified. Capital punishment in the ancient world. Very gruesome, very painful. He's, hung, he's hanging on the cross and he's about to die. And this is what it says. John chapter 19, starting with verse 28. It says, later knowing that everything had now been finished. John 19, 28. Later knowing that everything had now been finished. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's about to die, and something about that moment, something in this grand scope of the human experience and universe and human relationship with God and all of something about this separate, it was completed, it was finished, something significant happened. So he goes on, and there's a little insert about him being thirsty. He says, um, Jesus said, I'm thirsty, and a, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. The moment where Jesus says it is finished, that's where my story began. That's where I start. I remember when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I was in this place of, you know, many of us, it, it, it was kind of rooted in this American evangelicalism. It was around this question, you know, if you died today, do you know where you would go? My, my faith story started with this big question of like, you know what, I'm not going to live forever. And I wanted to make sure that I'm secure, that I've got, I'm going in the right place and that I'm taken care of. And, you know, I want to make sure I end up in heaven. And that's where my story began with this belief that, that Jesus would come and the sin that was in my life could be wiped away. I could have a fresh start. I could be made. So the first role that Jesus had in my life, and I don't know what your story is. Maybe it started somewhere else. But for the, my story started with my need for a savior and my need for hope, for a future knowing that my future was secure, that even in the most difficult place of death, there would still be, there would still be life. That in sharing in Christ's death, knowing that Christ then would rise again, that I too would rise again. That's where my story started. If you haven't started your story with Jesus yet, that's a great place to start. It's the best place to start. Recognizing your need, being washed clean, receiving that blessed assurance that we sing about, knowing that we are good with God. It's a great place to start. It's not where you can stay, though. 
my relationship with Jesus couldn't stay there, and I would encourage you, if that's where you're at, you can't stay there. You've, we've got to move on. And, and, and Christ continues to be my Savior, continues to be my hope, but, but Christ's role has changed. There was this moment in my life where I realized that Christ didn't just want to save me for some future life, that God was interested in my life right now. In fact, I remember the moment I was reading and I was actually studying the Greek because that's me. And I realized that like this verse in John where it says, you know, that Christ would give you life, that in the context of the verse and the verb use, it meant starting now, not eternal life in the future, but eternal life starting right now, that God was very interested in the present. And so now all of a sudden, God's, Jesus's role in my life shifted a little bit. I realized he's not just Savior, he's not just Lord, but there was this invitation to be my teacher and even my Lord having say about my life in everyday life. We're going to work our way through John, but we're going to do it backwards. So if you've if you you've got a paper version, you just turn back a few pages, and we're going to go to John uh, chapter uh, uh, 13. This is a really pivotal story in my life. Jesus wasn't just Savior and hope, but Jesus takes on the role as teacher. So much of the Gospels is Jesus teaching extremely radical things. There's some things today that we just accept as good news. We just accept them as good things, like loving your enemy. Many people have said this now. Many people can be quoted on it. Things like servant leadership, which is a hot topic item. Jesus came up with these things. They weren't talking about it in the ancient world. Jesus came and he taught a new way to live. And one of the stories right there in his passion narrative, um, where Jesus is moving towards the cross, is he's sitting with his disciples. He's sharing in communion with them. But he's also, he sits down and he washes their feet which is like the lowest of lowest servants. He washes their feet. They're like, no, Jesus. Peter's like, don't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you can have no part in me. And Jesus is, Peter's like, well, then wash my whole body. And Jesus is like, hold on, man. Like, don't go, t- I'm, not, I'm not going that far. And then Jesus says this, John 13, 13. He says, and 12, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. There was this point in my life where I realized that being a Christian meant more than just waiting for heaven. It was this invitation to live differently, which required learning to live differently. And and one of the ways that we can learn to live differently is I had to realize that I had to place my life in submission to Jesus as Lord. So now Jesus wasn't just my savior, not just my hope, not just someone who could teach me some really great proverbial wisdom that could change the way I interact with people. But the only way I could really understand that was to say, Jesus, you're also my Lord. You're also my master. My life's not going to be about me anymore. It's going to be about more than me. It's going to be about listening and following, following you. And that's not all. Jesus... um, takes on a lot of other roles. You know, I think oftentimes early in my faith, there was this assumption that if I chose to follow Jesus, my life would, you know, and, I, and I'm actually listening to Jesus. I'm actually living my life differently. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, that things would work out. I don't know if you've ever kind of assumed that. I mean, it's God of the universe. I'm finally doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Things should be easier. And life isn't always like that. There's still a lot of suffering. There's still a lot of heartache. Um, and so I had to realize that Christ wasn't just teaching me to live in such a way that would make my life better, but, but in life, when life brought pain and when life brought suffering, that Christ would meet me in there as a healer. And there were seasons in my life where God took on this role, 
where Jesus took on this role. And there's all kinds of stories in the Gospels where Jesus would heal the blind and heal the lame. One of the stories in John, if you flip back just a couple of uh, uh, chapters, you can find it. It's um, in chapter 11, Jesus actually raises someone from the dead, the ultimate healing story, brings someone back from the dead. It's powerful. And I've, I realized that one of the ways that Jesus is healer in my life is that Jesus is a miracle worker. And I have experienced God do extremely profound things in my life that have brought me healing, have brought other people healing. But here's the thing about miracle workers, and here's the thing about miracles. They are, by definition, an anomaly. They're not the normal. They don't happen very often. That's what makes them a miracle. So most of our life and most of our faith life isn't experiencing a miracle. And I've been at places where I wanted a miracle and didn't get it. Where that's the role I wanted Jesus to have in my life was a miracle, and I didn't get it. And I know, I know you've been there, many of you. Been at places in your life where that's what you want, and God's not showing up. And all I have to say to that is, like, miracles aren't always something that you can count on. They're, they're God's mysterious sort of way. I still believe that God can show up and do profound things, but it's not, you can't just bank on it. We can hope for it, we can pray for it, but you can't, it doesn't always happen. But there is something that we can happen. Before Jesus ever rose Lazarus from the dead, if you look at the story, um, if you go to verse uh, 35, before he rose him from the dead, verse 35 says this, Jesus wept. There might be a time in your life where Jesus doesn't show up in your life as a miracle worker, but I guarantee you Jesus wants to show up in your life as an empathizer. You know, and there's something about the way we feel. There's something about when we get angry or upset or we get selfish or we get, you know, we feel these things. and, and, And I don't know if you're like me at all, but I oftentimes kind of feel a little guilty feeling things sometimes. I mentioned last week I started seeing a new uh, a new counselor. It's been it's been great. I highly highly recommend it. It was, a, a, but uh, um, I've been this guy's been particularly good for me because I keep apologizing for the way that I feel about things, and he keeps correcting me. You know, I'm like, well, I'm so, I probably shouldn't be feeling this way. He's like, you're feeling this way. It is what it is. So just leave it. You don't have you don't like you don't have to start from a place of apology. And but I think there's a pressure to say like I shouldn't be feeling this way. Has anyone ever said or thought that right? I shouldn't be feeling this way. I'm so sorry. Here's the thing about God. Sometimes we think God's like, well, sorry, God, I shouldn't be feeling this way. No, not only is God not saying you shouldn't be feeling that way. God is saying I will feel the same way with you. Jesus wept. I'll feel it with you. There's been some profound moments in my life where, you know what, I didn't need a teacher. I didn't even need a miracle worker. I I didn't even need, you know, I wasn't thinking about eternal life at that moment. I just needed someone to cry with and to know that God would meet me in that and not be crossing his arms and scolding me and saying, why don't you grow up, Joe? But just knowing that God would love me in that moment is what I needed. And Jesus has been that for me. The reality is, is that that life is, at times, very, very difficult. 
One of the other roles that Jesus has played in my life is, is you know, life is difficult. I don't always know what to do. And, and quite honestly, I'm kind of, I can be very stupid and dense and stubborn. Anyone else in the room can relate? Like, I just don't always get things right. And there's this verse, if you just go back from my Bible, one page, it's in chapter 11. Um, Jesus is talking about the good shepherd and the sheep. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 10, chapter 10, not 11, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He's telling the story about these sheep. And the sheep are hanging out in the gate. And they've got this big, long, this tall, you know, stone wall and the sheep are in there. And he's like, I'm at the gate. Only the people I let in are, are letting in. And the thing with sheep is that sheep aren't particularly smart. So I really relate. And you got you to gotta fence them in and you got you know, you to make sure they're vulnerable. And so you got to keep the thieves and the wolves from getting in. And, and this, so there's this role that Jesus has played in my life as protector, especially from my own mistakes. Someone um, growing up, my mom said to me, I was having this existential crisis at way too young of an age. Surprises no one here. And I was just like, well, what if I screw up God's plan for my life? She's like, God already knows what you're going to do. He's already planned for it. Such a comforting thing. Another way of saying it, I heard someone uh, say recently is, uh, when God called you, he knew how stupid you were. And it's just so comforting, isn't it? Like, it's already, you're okay. We need a shepherd. We don't always get, we don't always get it figured out. We need this shepherd. And, and so God is his protection. I love this, though, because... Oftentimes, when we want to pray for protection, there's a phrase that we use in the Christian world. Does anyone know what the phrase is? Any guesses? When you pray for protection, like someone's going to go traveling or whatever, you pray for a hedge of protection. Anyone heard this phrase? If you haven't, then you've just not good for you. And people don't. No, it's all the time. You pray for someone on travel, like hedge of protection and then traveling mercies. Which you don't pray for other things. Like, if you don't, when you're about to eat, you don't say, you know, God, just really give us some eating mercies or like, you know, job mercies. But traveling mercies is totally okay to say. And hedge of protection, which is crazy because when Jesus talks about protection, he's like, I'm going to build a stone wall and I'm going to be at the gate. When we want protection, like, I'm going to travel, you know, down the road, what would really protect me is a couple shrubs, you know? That's what we're praying for. But there's a sense that Jesus is willing to come and surround us and give us more than just a hedge of protection, but to be able to protect us. That there are things in this world that can really hurt us, and and Christ is, in many ways, a protector. The truth of the matter is, is that we live in a world that is hard. It's hard. And even when we feel like everything's falling apart, we we need hope. We need something to sustain us, and that's another role that Jesus has given me. That Jesus has at times not fixed my problems, but given me what I need to live through them, sustaining power. Jesus talks about this. If you go back a couple more uh, chapters to chapter six, he's talking and he's feeding people and he's, he's essentially going to talk about communion. And I'll just mention here, um, uh, we're going to take communion in a little bit if you want to, to take it. And uh, if you're a parent and you want your kid to take it, you can go get them at the end of the service and bring them up. Uh, we encourage that. Anyone is welcome to take it. Jesus is talking about communion, but he does it in a really difficult way. And I want to make two points. It's, it's, it's John chapter six, starting with verse 53, he says this. He's talking to a whole crowd of people. Um, and he says, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. First off, I'm going to address the fact that that's a very strange thing to say. We'll get to that. But Jesus is saying, I'm the real food. We know now with nutritionists, and I know we've got some medical people in the room, and even some healthy people, like what you eat matters. 
What you eat matters, and it has an impact on a variety of parts. And Jesus is saying, what you eat matters, and you need me. If you want to be healthy, if you want to live on the real food, on the real drink, and you need me, and you will live a healthier life, I will give you what you need to sustain you. You're the, I'm the nutrients that you need. Now, he says it in this very abrasive way. He says, you got to eat my body, drink my blood. He, he doesn't even tell him he's he means it spiritually. He doesn't say he's using, he says it literally. And he's saying it to a very large group of people. This was Jesus's strategy. He would basically gather a bunch of people and then tell them really hard things so most of them would leave. It's not a good church plant strategy or church growth strategy, but that was Jesus's strategy. And he would say these really hard things. And one of the reasons why is because Jesus wasn't just a, our savior, our hope, our healer, our sustainer. Our, he wasn't just that. Jesus was also a prophet. And the role of the prophet was to to challenge people to the point where they wanted to walk away. And only the people who were really serious would stick around. This is the role of the prophet. And Jesus does this all the time, not just here. He does it with the Pharisees. He does it in a variety of settings. He does it when he talks to a rich young ruler. He does it with someone who wanted to bury. He says really hard things. This is a role that Jesus has had in my life, probably the most recently. And just candidly, you, you all know this, is probably one of the more prominent roles that Jesus has in my life. Jesus looks at the world in which we live in with all of his brokenness and all of its difficulty and even corruption and, and neglect. And Jesus says, I have something to say about that and you should be doing something about it too. He takes on this role of the prophet. In fact, he's a force to be reckoned with. If you keep going back, we're working our way to the beginning of John and you go to John chapter one or John chapter two, Jesus shows up to the temple he shows up to the temple. This is verses 13 to 15. And he goes into the temple, and what he sees is all of these people who are selling cattle for worship. We don't do animal sacrifice and worship anymore. Um, you're welcome. But they used to. It was a part of the, the, the temple worship. And in order to have it, you would have to have an animal that was without blemish. That's what the Old Testament said. So the Jewish leader said, well, we'll sell you the animal without blemish. And in fact, any other animal that you could bring in actually has blemish. So you have to buy it from us. Of course, then they could rank up the prices as high as they want. It's like buying a hot dog at Cedar Point. I mean, it's just like, what else are you going to do? And so the people who were hurt the most were foreigners who were coming in to worship at the temple. Not necessarily foreigners, but Jews or, or even Gentile worshipers who were coming in, and they weren't going to bring their cattle with them. Not that they would even pass the test. As well as those who were living in the margins who were poor, because these prices were being lifted up. And so here's what's happening. In the name of God... The religious rulers are making money off of those in the margins. And not only that, they're keeping them, for those who couldn't afford, from worshiping God. Oh, Jesus is not happy about this. Here's what he does. I love John's version. It's the most violent. Verse 15, it says, So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts. Imagine that picture of Jesus on the Sunday school wall. A force to be reckoned with prophet, king, who says, there are some things that are wrong, and I'm going to confront you. What's great about Jesus and all the other roles is they tend to make me feel really good, except for when Jesus takes the role of the prophet in my life. He pulls out the whip, and he says, there's some things, Joe, you need to change. It's hard, but it's good. These are just some of the ways in which I've experienced uh, Jesus and different seasons of my life, depending on where I'm at. All of them can be summarized at the beginning of John. John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. The message says, 
God moved into the neighborhood. All of these things are ways in which God is meeting us right here. You know, it's funny because my faith started because I was hoping to get into heaven someday. My faith continues because I realize God's really interested in earth right now. And that God came here, that God meets me, challenges me, looks at the world as it is and says, these things shouldn't be the way that they should change. And then he provides the sustenance I need to continue on. And he meets me as an empathizer and sometimes even as a miracle worker and as a teacher. And I have to continue to submit my life as Lord. And and that he still continues in all of that to be my savior and my hope. Here's what I want you to do. Take a second and reflect. What is Jesus to you? On this board here, it says, Jesus is blank. What would be your answer? I'm going to give you a few moments uh, to reflect on that. Before I do, I'll give you some instructions. We're going to take communion here in just a little bit after we have some time of reflection. Uh, So what I'd like for you to do, if you'd like to take communion, anyone and everyone's welcome to come forward. I'm going to invite you to come and come down this side. We'll take communion, and then you can either go back to your seat or as an act of worship right on the board where you're at right now. What role is Jesus playing in your life? What role do you hope Jesus will play in your life? If you're starting this journey out and you say Savior, if you say my hope, um, if you've been in this for a while and and, and your your life is changing and God is, Jesus is playing, I think we're a church where we recognize people are in a lot of different places. But Jesus has something to say, something to do in each of those places. So I invite you to come during that time of worship and just name it for yourself as an act of worship. So I'm going to invite you to spend some time reflecting. What has Jesus been up to in your life? And where do you hope Jesus, what role do you hope Jesus will be in your life as we move into a new school year, as a new church, as a new year as a church, as, a, as, as people who are continuing trying to be faithful towards Jesus? Let's spend some time in reflecting on that, and then we'll celebrate together. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us. Meet us in this space. Speak to us. Comfort, convict, inspire. Whatever our hearts need right now, Lord, meet us in a unique way. Speak to us.